Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Michelle Kaplan. Michelle is founder and CEO of Burst and Flourish, a consulting and training firm specializing in organizational effectiveness and leadership development. By leveraging her 30 years of HR experience and 15 years as a coach and trainer, Michelle helps her clients of emerging and established executives maximize their authentic leadership abilities to harness and impact their organization's people, productivity, and profitability. Specific areas of focus include emotional intelligence, change management, creating and sustaining high-performance teams, effective decision-making, and increasing psychological safety at work. Michelle is also a published author with her two books of poetry recognized as Amazon's top hot new releases for inspirational poetry. Michelle incorporates her poetry in her coaching practice and leadership development training classes. Today, Michelle and I are talking about leading teams both through change and in a remote environment. We're talking about how change is a constant at small businesses and how you can make sure your team members are brought on board with the change and not feeling like something is just pushed on top of the, onto them or creating that false sense of them being a part of the change when really you have made all the decisions and you're just forcing it. And we're also talking about what things look like in a remote environment. Now that companies are deciding, should they be returning back to the office as a team as a whole, hybrid teams, or staying fully remote, which could be great for you if you're a fully remote company considering a hybrid model moving forward, or are outgrowing your current in-office space and trying to decide, is it time to find a new location? or figure out if some of your employees can work out of the office. So let's jump into the conversation with Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Uh, Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yes. Before we get started today, can you take a few minutes and introduce yourself and your business to everybody? Yes. Uh, So I've been in human resources for 30 years. Um, And right now I am a leadership and organizational development coach. Um, I really focus and work with leaders to make their organizations more effective. And in the process, you know, really work on their leadership development and style, you know, to really kind of enhance their strengths. Yes. I love that. People leadership and being a leader in general, for some people, it comes a little bit more naturally than, than for other people. 
but it's even something, even if you feel like you, you've always been that, that person that's been pulled to those leadership positions, you still always have room to improve and to grow. And a lot of times you say it's focusing on the strengths to help really uh, create who you are and be able to be that great person your team needs. Yes. You know, I find a lot of times it's like with leaders, they, um, you, you, they just know who they are, right? And as they move up in position and, you know, their, their level of responsibility, they kind of don't understand that how they're perceived by others changes. Like a lot of times they'll say, you know, they could just tell me anything, right? I have an open door policy and, and I'm pretty easygoing and flexible. And it's like, yes, you are. And you're also still the president of the company. Uh, and so people do, you know, speak to you differently than if you were a peer. And, and that always is like surprises people. I mean, they know it, but it's like, they, they think it doesn't happen, but it does. It does. Right. It definitely does. And you, know, you think about it, it's like, okay, you're probably going to go tell your friend and speak to your friend completely different than you would speak to your boss, like back when you had a boss. So it's like, yeah, there is that, it's just that different dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Jamie. Like, that's why I always say to people, it's like, remember back in the day. (laughs) That's perfect. Yes. And then they're like, oh, got it. Yes. So, you know, so working on leadership development, it's really, um, there is no one right leadership style. So it's really just enhancing, like really confirming who you are, who you're not. And then how do you show up, you know, being your authentic self every day? Yes. I love that. Cause it's, especially when you're really creating like who you are as a leader or bringing that out in yourself and identify it, it really needs to be who you are as a leader. Like you don't want to look at to say, I need to act this way because other people act this way. Like I know, like on this podcast, like, you know, at the end, you know, we always talk about a leader that stood out to us and qualities that they had that stood out to us. And while those are great things to kind of like keep in mind and think about and really I like that because it helps our listeners really see what other people view as good leadership skills. And we have a lot of the same themes that come up in a, over and over again, but no one person ever gets on there and says, this was a great leader. I decided I needed to be exactly like them because being exactly right. like someone doesn't work. Like you can't change yourself. You need to be who you are and figure out some of those like great leadership skills, how they blend in with you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Perfectly said. And Um, you know, what I really focus on is I try to get to the root cause and really teach leaders how, um, you know, the root cause for a lot of, you know, interpersonal conflict and creating that culture and high performing teams that you are, you know, that they're looking for and innovation and growth are really from psychological safety uh, in the workplace, which is that kind of like, I can show up as myself and be safe right? Mentally, emotionally, and of course, uh, physically. So I work with leaders a lot on change management because that really comes up a lot, like how we minimize that disruption of change. Um, And then the psychological safety is, you know, really the core, which is like, you know, people want to feel like they belong to the group. They want to learn and grow. They want to um, bring their ideas and contribute to work. And it's like, as a leader, do you bring that to your organization. Right. And I love the concept of change management. It was something that I really never heard of 
until I was a first time manager. We were going through this process and they took us through some change management training. And it was like, it was a real eye opener of like, wait, like there actually are these different stages of change. Like you can't just get everyone on board at the same time and be like, come on, let's go be as excited about this as I am. And it's one of those things that when I am working with people and we're talking about change and everything, it's like, just kind of like that, once again, that eye opener of people go through change differently. There's good, there's the high points of change. There's the low points of change. People get stuck. Like don't drag people through the change. And they're like, Oh, it will, but once they start approaching it from that change management lens, they realize that it's a lot easier to implement the changes and get people through because you're not battling. Yes. I mean, it's really the consistency of the message, right? And like where you'll have the 20% that are on board with you and pretty gung-ho. You have your 20% that are the total naysayers, um, you know, in that change and are really, you know, fighting and kicking and screaming all the way. But you do have the majority, that 60% that, you know, with some just repeating the message, you know, and really whether meeting with them individually or just, you know, really building that trust. That's why they need to feel safe, right? It's like, if you feel safe, you know, um, at some level, then you will come on board much quicker. And that's the group that you really want to start moving, you know, towards that 20% that are really gung-ho. Yes. And if you think about it in small businesses, especially like most people that are listening to this podcast, their, their business is in that scaling phase. So the business that they have today doesn't look like the business that they had a year ago. And it's not looking like the business that they're probably going to have a year from now, because they're really in that, that massive growth and scaling phase. And they're bringing in those first teams. And, and for those listening, as much as you're not realizing it, because sometimes you're in the mix of it, your business is changing every day. So this concept of change management and getting people on board and making people feel safe and secure while everything is changing around them is super important because your business is changing. Change is pretty much a constant. Yes. I know it's so true. And that's what I work with most of my clients on is that, I mean, I love working with small and mid-sized businesses anywhere from, you know, just a couple of people up to about like 250, 300 people. In my mind, you know, as an individual, you can see the impact. And what I really work with my clients in those organizations at size is really the, the decision-making process. Because in that, I mean, decisions are so impactful because they'll lead to action right? What's the action you want to take? So if there's some indecisiveness, like I'm not sure exactly what to do, or it's like, you know, really when you make decisions, taking many of the key stakeholders, you know, the different people you're working with, taking their perspectives into account um, and really learning how to do that. And then through the process, I kind of walk the client through, okay, how do you understand what's fear, right? What's that fear coming up? What's that intuition? that kind of inner wisdom that like, I know it makes no sense, the numbers, but I, I need to do this. So how do I explain that? Or the reason, right? The data part. And what's really interesting, you know, because, you know, even fear can be intuitive, right? If there's a real danger, then it's kind of giving you that alert. So it's like really working with them to kind of say like, okay, you know, what is coming up? And then, you know, from making those decisions, working on that with them on the communication strategy. And then the plan, the rollout, you know, and then even just the timing of it and who to speak to first and, and all that type of thing. But especially in the smaller businesses, it's very impactful. 
Right. No, it totally is. So, okay. So you're creating this plan. And one of the things I talk about a lot is transparency with your team. So when you're in this mix of change or you're preparing for this change, a lot of people are like, well, how can I be transparent without giving away too much because we're still trying to figure things out or because you talk about like that hierarchy, who needs to know things first, you know, there's still stuff where it's like maybe those higher level people need to know because you're still figuring the communication plan out. You're still figuring all this out. So how do you have transparency without giving away too much because things might change inside your change? Oh my God, that's such that a great question. Sense. Yeah, um, that happens all the time. I mean, right, those, that's, that's even a key uh, decision when, you know, so so a lot of times like what leaders will say is like, okay, like I'm not, right, especially within it, something that's more innovative or right now we're in no predictable times, right? There's, there's this unpredictability. So it's kind of like when leaders kind of said like, well, just come along for the ride, right? Just trust me, Jamie, I swear. And and it's like, no, that 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 will work. That's really from a communication strategy. It's almost like a, a, a people receiving that. I mean, of course they trust you, right? Or hopefully they do. Um, but people receiving that, it's almost like when you're, when your parents, either your mother and father kind of just said like, you know, why can't I do it? It's like, because I said so, right. It has that kind of like, what do I do with that? Right. It's like, you really, <laughs> like, I don't want you to think I don't trust you. So really, I think part of it is the timing is I think there's some transparency in, you know, just even like, just say something that's a little bit off the cuff. If you've already made the decision and you're just looking for the buy-in is a whole different, like there's transparency and kind of saying like, this is where we're going. I need your help with how, and here are some numbers, you know, here's some data. It might not make sense now, but this is the vision. And then you have to kind of keep repeating that versus a leader might really not know, right? Like, I'm not sure if we're going to take this path and I'm, I'm pulling to, together this group or I'm communicating that out, you know, looking for feedback. Um, and that type of thing. So there, you build trust that way because we've all been in meetings where we've known, like I'm sitting there, it's like, you're asking for my advice, but I think the decision's already made. And right. so what, like, I'm not sure what you're looking for exactly, you know? And sometimes like, I'll say that, of course, you know, um, you know, again, depending on how safe I feel to kind of bring that up and challenge that status quo. But, you know, I think there's even transparency in just the intention of it. And what do you really want from people? Because you might already made the decision and the buy-in will come in when people start building what that will, like being open to the how, if you know the what. I love that. I love that, that you're being transparent with what has already be de been decided and where the team can come in or where the team can help. So if you know that end point, you're clear that this is our end point we need to get there and get their support you know, on the certain items where they can come in or input on the certain items where it's appropriate to get their input along that path. But don't come in and be like, well, we're still trying to figure things out if you've already made up your mind, right. because that, that definitely doesn't build that trust. And then on the other hand, if you don't know where you're going yet, being open and honest about that, like I can really imagine like thinking back a from when we we're recording this about a year ago, where there's so many companies are being like, we have to pivot due to COVID. 
but they didn't really know where they were pivoting to. So it was like asking those employees to trust them and come along with the on the journey and help them figure it out when they didn't know where that endpoint was. Yes. Yes, beautiful. And and just and to kind of repeat what I had said earlier, it's kind of like if a leader's already made that decision on what to do, I'm I'm really, you know, rooting for the fact that you you got the perspective of the people it's going to impact including even the customer or client, somebody outside your organization or a vendor or those types of things. Um, but that's where, if, you, if you're going to make that decision to get the viewpoints, how is this going to be perceived by others? Maybe they're true obstacles and barriers, or maybe it's just a perception thing. Um, but that, and then, and then that's part of the communication, you know, that you, you know, communicate out. These are the things I've I've done to come to this decision because so many times people will like, you know, like you said, if you have the decision already made and I kind of have like, well, this one point I don't really like the leader might be like, Oh, there, Michelle doesn't really, she's not on board. Right. And it's like, well, I would be, if I knew this was where it was going to go. And I had some more information about how, so I always think it's the lack of, that's why the communication is so key because it's usually a lack of information. And a lot of it is, is unintentional, right? It, it's not because they want to withhold. And, you know, our brains create meaning. If we don't have the information, we will fill the gap of, you know, the questioning with our viewpoint, which depending on where we sit in the company, it might be just a very limited view versus the leader has a more right. like overall perspective. Right. And I love that, like bringing in those other viewpoints, whether it's you're doing your research to be like, okay, how's this going to impact our customers? Because there's so many things where companies go and make change and they don't actually think about that, that impact of that on the people it's going to affect, or like, how is it going to impact the team and having that, that information ready. And I feel like that's so good because you said like, you know, you have your data sometimes when you go and present to your team to say, this is where we're going and this is why we're going. And I love that you said, because I said no (laughs) is like not an answer. That is one of the things I say all the time. Like, have you ever heard the story about my my seven-year-old or I guess now she's eight a few years ago standing in Target because I told her like that and she goes, because I said so is not an answer, mom. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you're right. It is not. Like it gives you, it's an answer that gives you no information and it's hard to have people buy into because I said so, because you're not giving anything to them. But with everything, like when you can go and present and say, okay, here's the data, even if you don't, because you know, your team doesn't want to sit there through a long presentation of all the data and everything that you went through to get to this decision, having it ready and available. So when they start to ask questions that you can be like, that's a really great question. We did think about that. Here's the information that we gathered. I know one of my teams in the past, like that we would do that a lot where, um, I'd present to my team, this is back in corporate, everything that was going on, these big changes, and uh, we would have these great team discussions around it. And one of my team members, he had this great innovative mind, and he came from a different department. So he had been involved in different things before, and he'd be like, and I just remember the one time he could would be like, hey, we did a project similar to this in the past. We, ch- we had an issue when we tried to do X, Y, Z. It seems like that's gonna happen here too, did they think about this? Are they aware that we had this issue in the past? And sometimes I would be able to say, you know, you're, you're right. Like we thought about that. Here's how they're going to mitigate that. Here's how they're getting around that. And there was another time where they actually didn't come up with that. Like when they were going through their thought process. So we were able to go and present to say, Hey, 
we probably want to pull on some people from this other team to talk about the issue they had because we haven't thought about that scenario yet. And that scenario is most likely going to happen, but we just didn't think about it. Yeah, no, that's a great example. It's great. Yeah. So let's transition a little bit. Cause I know one of the other things that you have some information to share on is remote teams. And I feel like this is such a great topic because so many people in our audience, they are either 100% remote or this past year they transitioned to remote and now they're trying to figure out, do I continue being remote or do I bring everyone back or some sort of hybrid? Or I know I also have some clients that are starting to grow out of their space and they're trying to decide, do we move to a bigger space or do I start letting certain positions be remote and not have everyone in the physical space all the time? So there's many different things going on with our listeners about creating teams in a remote environment, whether it's one-off positions or the entire team. And I know you have some tips and advice on how to be successful with remote teams. Yes. Oh my gosh. I've been spending the last few months <laughs> on this topic with different organizations. And again, from super small, um, really, um, you know, talking about like 10 people all the way up to a few hundred. Um, so yeah. So where do you start with this? Well, the, the, the interesting thing, I mean, to kind of, you know, cut to the chase on that. It seems that the, especially for smaller organizations, if, if you can make a hybrid type of organization, you know, if you could set that up, that would be great. I mean, if you look online, it's like the number of companies that are now posting for jobs um, that are remote. I mean, if you're looking to attract and retain, you know, your good people, it is something definitely to consider. It's not just like something that's going to pass uh, through, you know, passing by. And, you know, What's so interesting is that when we all shut down and we all went back, it's, you know, what's coming up now, there are a lot of concerns because I think from a manager and from a leadership perspective, there are still some leaders that feel that, you know, working in the office is the most productive and you're more focused, right? And so this is a whole mindset, like kind of paradigm shift. Um, where, and again, that, this is where we kind of, you know, this is from the leadership development as you're working on organizational effectiveness, because really what's going to happen is your company can offer some type of remote option, but if your managers and your leaders are not on board, and there's usually pockets, right? It's not everybody across the board, then regardless of whatever you offer, the employees in that group or department will know that, and they might eventually lead to because the research really shows that managers and leaders are most concerned about people working remote is um, again, productivity and you know the work's not gonna get done and the culture, right? How are we gonna collaborate and build those relationships? Those are the two things. Right. Um, from the employee perspective, what the surveys are kind of saying, especially like through the pandemic is that what employees are like, I'm working more out right? I mean, there's this whole blending and blurring and people are actually pretty exhausted. So the issue and the surveys kind of show that people are working more hours, there's actually more getting done. But what, what where, you know, the employees are concerned about this remote working continuing is their career advancement. You know, like if I'm not there, like out of sight, out of mind type of thing. And so they'll find an organization that does embrace remote working. And then the second one is that learning and growing. So for, an, for a small employer, if you have 
people that are either new to your industry or business or even new to your company. Because a lot of times we have experienced uh, employees, but they're new. So they still have learning to do. Then um, I would think about some hybrid where you're coming together. Because when you're working in a crisis mode, like during the pandemic, you're just trying to get work out. But when you're now that we're coming back, you know, you do have to balance the work out with the relationship building as well. There's a lot in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up so many great things in there. And actually a lot of it revolves around conversations I've recently been having. Just last week, I was out to lunch with someone who is um, head of a business here locally. And like, they're, they're debating, like, you know, do we bring everyone back to the office? Do we not? And one of the things that brought up, which is one of the things their team brought up. And then, so we were discussing it was the opportunity for advancement if you're not in the office and like, how does that work? And, you know, what have I seen in companies? And what I told her was, it depends on how well your company is embracing those remote positions. So many companies in the past that are like, oh, well, you can't get a promotion if you work remotely because these positions need to be in the office. It's like, they've kind of viewed those remote positions as outliers. It's like, yeah, yeah, we have this person who does work, but they really weren't bringing them into the team. They didn't create their culture around the fact that they have people in all these different locations. It was, we have our in-office Oh yeah. And we just happen to have these other people who do work for us. So I was like, when you bring, when you create this whole culture where it's that entire team, no matter where they are, then it's sometimes that's no longer an issue because then you realize that not every position needs to be in the office. You don't need to be in the office for, you know, why does a more senior leadership position need to be in the office if there's no actual need for them to be in the office Yes, when these other positions can be remote too. And it's like, you just have to create that whole culture around the fact that you are not an in-office company, you're a hybrid company or you're a remote company and build it around there. So you don't forget about those team members. Yes. Because from the networking perspective, when you have people working remote, it's like, you know, for the employees, as well as for like the leaders, you know, and things like that, is that you do have to network. I mean, it's just like any entrepreneur or any leader, you know, you have this whole network outside. I mean, I have, as an entrepreneur now, I mean, I have, I mean, that's on my to-do list. Every day I'm reaching out to at least one person I haven't spoken to in a while. I mean, I just create that. It's just part of, you know, so I'm just calling to kind of touch base, see how people are doing. You do need to kind of create that. So it's kind of like with companies, if you focus on the results, right? If you have clear objectives and you focus on the results, then you know the work is kind of is getting done. Um, and then what I've really been working with different companies on, I mean, there's so many different options. Some, a lot of companies do is what they call a training, right? And it's really a, a more formal communication, really talking about how remote working is a privilege, right? Not a right. Um, and, you know, these are the clear expectations about when you're, you know, it's not so detailed, but it's pretty much like, you know, dealing with the outliers, right? If there's somebody missing an action every day, all day, every day, well, then we'll deal with that one specific person. And then that involves training, like, and then it's manager training on performance management, conflict, you know, avoidance. That's a big thing. Like people don't want to bring it up with that certain employee. Um, so there are these trainings happening for both employees and managers. So there's a whole different dialogue happening. But if you can't get the mindset that that 
you know, we're going to focus on results and objectives. In a way, I, I, I really kind of respect companies who kind of say, I don't want to do remote. I want people in, right? I mean, at least they're being really clear and there is a certain trust with that. And then they'll treat versus if you're going to go along for the ride, but you're really not, your heart's not into it. Yeah, there'll be retention issues, especially when people right. are looking outside. Yeah. And I let's before about you brought up like the whole thing of productivity. And I know like there's that fear of like, okay, people that are at home, they're going to be distracted. They're going to be cleaning their house. They're going to be this, they're going to be that. And I always have to tell people, I was like, well, hold on, wait, you're acting like when people come to work in the office, they work in this bubble of no distractions. <laughs> I'm like, do you not realize how many distractions happen in the workplace? And I know this is a story that I've shared like countless times, but like my husband, he's been working from home for four years now. Like when I first started running a business, working from home, our youngest was home. Then our uh, oldest, like she was just going, I think to a part-time preschool when he started working from home. And he was like, he had the option. He could go into the office or he could work from home. And he's like, I think I'm going to go into the office a lot because I, I think the kids are going to be distracting. And I was just like, wait, I've already been working from home for a while now. Like we have this routine down. I was like, but I was like, they're really not as distracting as you think. And I told him, I was like, when you go into the office, make note of every time you're distracted, whether it's a coworker coming by your desk, whether it's a noise over there that, that pulls you away. <laughs> I was like, make note of it. And I was like, and then make note of all the distractions, like when you're at home. And he came back and he was like, you know, you're right. There's actually fewer distractions at home than at the office. Oh gosh. Yes. And and it's like, yeah, so there's there's all these things that pull people's attention at the office too. And um, recently I uh, saw this article that was like kind of one of those things of like, here's why people, like everybody needs to return back to the office. And they did, like, there was some survey of what people were doing during their time when they were at home. And it was like 70% of people admit to shopping online while they're working. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's that's probably true. But probably that same 70% is shopping online at the office. Yes. Like you go on and you're like, oh, I need to order that thing off of Amazon. Let me go quick and look. Like I know I did it when I was back in corporate. Oh, yes. And it was like, those things happen. Or it was like one of the things that it was like, people have a drink of alcohol while they're working at home. I was like, well, how many times were there in office happy hours? Yes, yeah. you should be <laughs> drunk while you're working. And, you know, I think like one of those things, if you're drinking at home alone, like while you're working, maybe that's a problem that needs to be addressed for other reasons. I was like, but you can't be a company that says we have, you know, bureau clock in the office. Oh, but now that you're home, there's alcohol's off limits. So it's like, you have to like build that, like, what's the difference between people doing it in the office versus doing it at home? Yes. And so I would say, you have to look at that productivity. Are these people getting their work done? If they're getting their work done, isn't that what's important if that's what matters? And if there's other issues going on that need to be addressed, address them. But if they're getting their work done, what you're paying them to do, that is one of the most important things. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, people are just exhausted, right? It's just the whole juggling type of thing. I mean, people are just, you know, you're just kind of thrown into it, uh, especially working parents um, or anyone who really is taking or, or taking care of an elder parent, you know, there's just, people are just so tired, you know, and they were, you know, there's these different reports about, you know, the, the time saved with commuting is working. So the, the surveys are showing people are working an extra one to two hours, at least a day, 
you know, just kind of naturally. And honestly, like when I hear, when I have these discussions and I've had, you know, especially with one recently with the, with the senior leader who really was just like, I just want people, you know, in the office again, just, you know, the mindset um, that if I can't see you, like, I'm not really sure what's happening. And, and so I was just kind of pretty blunt in the sense that if you really, you know, like we were talking about, like, you know, who are the people that they recognize within their company? And it really turns out that it's like, you know, if you give good face time, you know, and then this was supported by his colleague, right? If you, if you give good face time in that company, so you could be like, to your point, shopping online and hanging out in the break room, you know, taking lunch. I mean, I, when I worked, I never really took lunch, right? I just worked straight through okay. as well. So it's kind of like you're kind of, and but then around 3.30, 4 o'clock, it's like, all right, I got to start cranking now. So I'm at my desk at 6.37, you know, and this, this leader is seeing me still at my desk. Well, it really doesn't reward the one who's been super efficient all day working during that time. So FaceTime doesn't mean anything. So it's kind of like, I think you you have bigger issues than the question about whether you're working <laughs> remote or not. <laughs> right. Well, you bring up a point there. My last team that I managed in corporate, almost every person on my team left at 4.30. A lot of the other teams, like they were there so much later. And I just remember like someone saying, well, it's not fair that your team leaves every day at 4.30. I was like, well, first off, my team is in their seats at least an hour before your team shows up. So they're here, just you're not here yet to see them. And I was like, and they get all their work done. Typically my team's ahead of schedule. I'm not having the problems on my team that you're having where right. people don't wanna help out each other, where um, they can't find a backup if they're gonna go on vacation or I'm dealing with this high turnover. I was like, my team comes in, gets the work done. And I was like, and also, they all have approval to leave because it was like childcare issues and stuff. They have to drive 45 minutes and the childcare place closes at, at a uh, five 30. So they can't leave at five. And if they leave a little bit later, it's going to take an hour and 20 minutes to yes. get there with traffic. So I was like, they have approval, but they're getting their work done. And I was like, I'm not going to tell my team that they have to go find another childcare solution. Cause you need to be in your seat to five o'clock when I was like, your team members don't show up until 9 30. They're out socializing. They go take long lunches. I was like, so if it takes them to seven o'clock to get the same amount of work done, it's because they're choosing to let all these distractions get in the way of actually doing the work. Yes. Yes. Um, exactly. And then the same thing with the, from an employee perspective is that, you know, the leaders need to convey if you're working remotely that, you know, during crisis mode, we just want to, we want to survive today. Right. So we were very focused on just get your work done at home anyway. But now that we're coming out of it, we have to include getting the work done with the collaboration, with the relationship building, with the networking. Right. If you're concerned about learning and growing and career advancement, that usually involves other people. So whether it's formal or informal, you know, it's kind of understanding because the, the, the number one um, and I would agree if I was a leader, I, I mean, hearing this you know, several, many different companies that um, whether I read about it or dealing with it directly, it's kind of like the employees like, well, why do I have to come back in? Because I was doing my work at home, right? And so they just need to understand, again, there's a communication around, you know, this is what I was saying about be transparent about what you want and be open and include others in the how. Say that, yes, thank you so much. We were just like trying to survive this past year. And thank you, we did, right? We're, we're in this situation now where we're coming out of it. 
And now we need to expand the scope of your job back to getting the work done and building the relationships for collaboration, innovation, growth, learning, belonging, right? All those types of things. So that's the goal. That's what we want. And so some teams I work with decide to use focus groups to kind of get how that's going to look like for their organization, especially smaller companies, because each person is so impactful, right? When somebody goes out on disability or they're on vacation, I mean, there's like a gap, right? Because there's, there could be just a one of that person. So it's kind of like, you know, just explaining to people what the goal is, but you're going to be open to how that looks. Some, so one company right. started like a formal mentoring program, like, you know, it could, it was a peer mentoring because they were concerned. They were really concerned about career advancement. They felt that um, this was a mid-sized company, about 200 people. They weren't really concerned about the career advancement. The, the leader saw that you can write because it's getting the work done. But they were concerned about the learning and growing. They had a lot of, you know, folks right out of school, right? So they were like, how do we take the senior with, and so they decided to go more formal route where it's like they assigned people, right? So that's just, that's just another option, you know, but they also got feedback. So, you know, do a survey monkey, you know, ask two or three questions, probably no more than five, you know, if you're concerned about, you know, keeping that culture. Because that is, I mean, I think it's a valid concern for leaders. How, you know, but also be open to, uh, in particular, what especially do you love about your culture that you want to keep? And then get the feedback and perspective from others on how it could just be different. That's all. Right. Right. Yeah, I love that. Get their feedback, you know, listen to them. You know, you guys, you're building a team. That team should be a part of it, especially because, you have, you have that existing team. So it's not like you're starting from scratch for these people that are going through this. You have an existing team, make them feel like going back as we're talking about change, make them feel a part of that change at the right level. Like, you know, if we're talking about, you've made the decision that remote work is staying, let's figure out together how that is going to work, how we are going to change this culture. Now that we know remote work is here. And for the companies that are going to possibly add some of their first remote workers as their, as their team is growing out of their office, once again, bring that team in, you know, how do we want this to look, you know, also don't, maybe it's not just your next team member that gets to work remote because you don't have a place for them. Then everyone else is stuck at the office and creating that resentment. Talk to your existing team about what this is going to look like without everybody there and see what they want, what they need, and let them be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just think that it's like, if you, again, it goes back to the mindset, um, what you're bringing uh, to the game. It's like, if you really don't think it's going to work, then I think you should just let your employees know so that, you know, and explain why, you know, and then, but just be aware that, you know, it's interesting. I was just on LinkedIn. I was helping a friend's son, right? Find a job. He's, he's graduating college. It's like, oh, Michelle. And then, um, so we were going through, I hadn't really like done that type of extensive search before on LinkedIn. And I was just amazed, like putting in for the position he was going for. It was like, he, I think there was like over 400 jobs that were remote. Um, and it was interesting that the smaller companies, what they kind of put was that this is remote. Like some companies put remote for now to be continued. I thought that was a fair, like just be prepared. But a lot, a lot of smaller companies were saying like it's remote, 
but you do have to live locally because once you will have to come in for meetings at times, right? And so I just love that it's like added just like kind of like where we, you know, in the bottom where you put like the requirements for the job, right? What used to be like 10% travel, you need this, you need that, but it's just like, it's just like a bullet that's just kind of saying we're remote, but you do need to be local, right? Yeah, I did that. You know, when I hired my employee, I said, well, I did say you have to be in the state of Florida only because I was like, I don't want to deal with like payroll and yeah. anything else was like, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when you cross those state lines, it becomes a little bit more complicated. I'm like, I don't, I'm don't want to deal with that yet. So you have to be in Florida. And I said, it can, the job's going to be performed. It's a remote job. So you could work from home, except you have to be able to travel into the office for some training and the occasional team meeting. And if they wanted to live four hours away and they're willing to commute four hours each way for training and the occasional team meeting, great. If they want to be local, I'm like, that's fine too. As long as, but I was making it aware that you have to be here. And I have another client that they're really trying to figure out what this, they're thinking it's a hybrid model. So we're trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. So the positions they have open, like we're leaving them open for the potential for them to be fully remote team members, but making it clear during the process of, you have to be willing to travel to the office. Now for them, they are willing to bring someone from a different state and possibly fly them in. But the person needs to know if you don't like to travel, if you're not going to get on a plane to go to the, the headquarters, this isn't the position for you. Yes. No, it's, it's so true. I mean, I live right outside New York city. I'm in New Jersey. So it's like, you know, it's so interesting dealing with the um, clients who are in the city, you know, everyone between July and September, people are, they're just trying to figure out everything from commuting and public transportation in the city. Um, but I think the key point here is that for each company, they're starting now. Like I'm working with one company that um, they're going back September. Like they just figured, you know, they have a lot of, um, their demographics have a lot of working parents. And so they decided let's just get through the summer because even like summer camps are limited, you know, with what they're offering this, yep. this summer. So they're like, we're just, we, so they have a date. So they, you know, we work the whole communication strategy. So we just unveiled. So, I mean, we're talking about, we did this in May, you know, just before Memorial Day, kind of saying by Labor Day, we're giving you the summer to plan and like to figure it out for yourself and your families that, you know, we are going to have a hybrid, you know, and this is what it's going to look like. And now we're spending the, you know, the leaders um, working with them to kind of communicate and how do, how does it, how do we make it work? So again, from minimizing the disruption of change, it gives people time to plan and think about it, whether they have a partner at home or not, or what their arrangements are. Um, and then they could also get used to the idea that they will have to be back in the office at least two days a week. Right. Right. All right. I feel like we could talk forever about this, but we are at time. So Michelle, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Best way is through my website. Um, that's where my contact information is. And the company name is Burst and Flourish, F-L-E-U-R-I-S-H. So it'll be in the show notes, I'm sure, The uh, my website. And that way you can uh, contact me through my website. Thank you. Be sure to share all those links in the show notes on growingyourteam.com. All right. Last question that I love to ask all my guests. We have all had leaders or managers that stood out to us. Think of the most impactful leader or manager that you have had or that you had the privilege of working around and share with us one thing that made them stand out as a great leader to you. I had a boss years ago 
who really helped me with the, my confidence. He, um, you know, he did the thing where it's like, I was creating a lot of training programs and I had to present them. And at first pass, he would, he would say, no, he didn't like it. Or he would kind of question like, if you had to do this right now, Michelle, would you be ready to go live, right? With, with the work and to present it to others. And, and I questioned like, I don't know. So he really taught me that, you know, when you're, when you're giving something, everything with work to make it the best quality, don't just give like the draft, right? Like, you know, give it your all, all the time. Um, as well as he was just such an advocate, like really stood up for you, like did not tolerate poor behavior within his group. And I've never had somebody who was just so fair, also firm, right? He was not a pushover, but I've just never had somebody who really like um, supported me through his actions. And, you know, who really kind of like, if I was struggling or if he came back to me and said, okay, lesson learned, right? You know, don't do that again. But he just was so open to learning by doing so that when I made my mistakes, which we all do, so forgiving and then just kind of springboarding off of that versus blaming. Just, I, I guess the word that keeps coming up when you ask that question is just being an advocate for your, for your people. Yes, that is very, very important. All right. Thank you, Michelle, for everything you shared today. So much valuable information about change and remote teams. And I can't wait to go back and re-listen to everything and take a bunch of notes to implement with my growing team. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I love your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast and your review will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.